This certainly might come in handy in my new life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll hang on to it. He hung on to one thing. And that was his knowledge of the scriptures. But the rest of it, rubbish. He counted as refuse. It was counted as dung to him. It was so odious, absolutely odious, that he wanted it completely out of his presence. It's amazing the transformation of this man, Paul. Originally, he was Saul. But the Lord Jesus Christ looked in and said, Listen, your transformation is so 180 degrees, you need a new name. Not only are you commissioned altogether different, you need an absolute new name. The persecutor. Then the pursued. Then the plan. Then the plot. Then the pessimism. Then the peace. And then the power. We may not get to the power, probably. We won't get to the power. But we're going to get through the first one. We're going to deal with Paul who ultimately was Saul. And that is reminded to us is the persecution in verse 1 and 2. We are in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Chapter 9 of the book of Acts, and we're dealing with this this unbelievable conversion of Paul. Man, what a testimony he had to share. It's one of those testimonies that really travels well, you know. You look at my testimony and you say, oh, well, yeah, I grew up in a, in a Christian home and at the age of about something, something uh, below two digits, below two figures, you became uh, saved by the grace of God. But Paul, well into his, uh, probably 30 years old at the time and a rebellious against the the, the, the whole message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God saved him. Now let me ask you a question. Did it take any more power to save Paul from his sins than it did Aaron from his sins? Nope. Same power. Oh, friends, we all have a testimony. We all have a testimony. It may not have included divine intervention like it was in Paul's case, but it's a miracle nonetheless. From darkness into light, from, from, from a life of, of a rebellion against God to a life where the Lord Jesus Christ loves us. That, indeed, is a miracle. First of all, the persecution, though. Then Paul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if if he could find any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, it says he's breathing out threats. It actually means he's breathing out slaughter. It didn't matter if it was a man or a woman. Can you imagine the families? The man was hurled off and slaughtered, killed right there at the hands of those who came with uh, Saul. The woman maybe was cast off into prison for a lifetime. Where were the children? What a merciless man this was. Merciless. Breathing out threats. The word actually means that his very life's breath 
was to destroy those of the sect he called the way. That was his aim. That was all he lived for. This was a merciless man. Look, look at, look at, uh, go back to uh, chapter 7. <clears throat> and we have the stoning of Stephen. And this, I believe, is, is where the Holy Spirit of God, although there were other, other things in the life of, of Saul as he went through life that kept pricking his conscience, the Holy Spirit kept giving him influences that would say, maybe, maybe just possibly I'm wrong. But this, the stoning of Stephen, this is when the goad got out, that sharp stick, you know, and, and old Paul, he, he just kept saying, no, ooh, no, ooh. and the more he jabbed at that stick, the more pain was inflicted into his own being. That was the Holy Spirit of God, you see. He was a persecutor. When Stephen said these words, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayer and murderers who have received the law by the direction of the angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Oh, man, the hatred that spewed out was amazing. These words are denoting an unbelievable amount of hatred that spewed out. They were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Can you imagine that much hatred? That was Saul. That was Saul. But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and Stopped up their ears. Can you imagine the hatred? Wow. This is Saul. And ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was called, as he was calling on God and saying, these are his last words. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Can you imagine? That's the kind of hatred that, that just enveloped the heart of, of this man, Saul. It just permeated. It just filled him. He was driven by hatred. He was driven by violence. This man was driven to get rid of this sect, this thing called the way. They called it the way because the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in mockery, they picked up on that term and they used that term, the way. You're the way. As though there is no other way, you're saying there is no other way. You're the way. 
it was a, it was really a, a name of derision, but it ended up being a great compliment. For there is no other way. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ never made one apology for the fact that he was the only way to God. I think I mentioned this on Wednesday night, but I'm telling you, this is going to be the sticking point in our earth coming up real soon, folks. Put on your jeans. Get ready. Because here it comes. They're not going to tolerate that anymore. So what are we going to do? We're going to do as the Lord did. He never made one excuse. He went on and said, You've seen God the Father? You've seen me? You've seen God the Father. You see? Not one excuse. Oh, there does come a point. We're to obey the government authorities around us. We're to obey the government authorities around us. We, we wear these masks. We do what we're told. All, these, all of these things, they, they don't breach upon our faith. But when they come to this, and it is coming, we're going to separate the men from the boys, aren't we? We're going to separate those who really have a real profession of the Lord Jesus Christ from those who are just faking moves. And it is coming. <clears throat> verse three of uh, uh, verse uh, uh, one of chapter eight. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so you see. Paul felt that he was doing a great work. He had already dispersed the disciples out of Jerusalem. Those who claimed the name of Christ, not the apostles, but the disciples, he had already dispersed them out of Jerusalem. Ha, victory Paul? No, defeat Paul. For now they went out. We know that Philip went up into Samaria and started a great work up there. And it says many turned to the Lord. Many turned to the Lord. There's a powerful influence that was there in Samaria. Then he was whisked off to Ethiopia. And there's where the, the, the testimony begins there. And so the testimony goes on. So what was Paul actually doing? He was doing the will of God unbeknownst to him. He was scattering the church is what he was doing. Verse 3 then says this, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and a multitude with one accord uh, heeded the, the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. All of a sudden, this work, and, and I think you'll notice this because you have the influence of Stephen. Stephen's influence was great. You have the seven that were uh, uh, plucked out, so to speak. The seven who became uh, 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 the, the, the workers who dealt with the, the, uh, the, the widows there, the, the Hellenistic widows who they felt was, were being mistreated. All of a sudden, it becomes a laity work. 
There's not a clergy work here. You say, well, the apostles are the clergy. Certainly much went through the apostles, but it became a laity work, didn't it? You have Ananias later on. He'll play a great part. No, not the, not the original Ananias, but the second Ananias. He'll play a great part. It becomes a laity-type work, and it still is a laity-type work. We don't have a, a, a paid pastor that comes up, and, and he takes over, and he all, all of the spiritual influence kind of funnels through that pastor. The evangelistic aspects of the chapel, they funnel through the pastor. No, that's not the way it works. They funnel through you, and they, and they funnel through me. That's the way it's designed. You can see it as it's designed right here in the book of Acts. It became a laity work. What a transformation. Can an Ethiopian change its skin? Can a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to do evil. This is what we're seeing in our society. If we just educate a few more young people and they go and they study psychology and they get their master's degree and they get their doctor degree, we can change people. We can transform people. We need to be different. Just this morning as I was driving to the grocery store trying to get some stuff up there, I, I turned on the radio and there was this individual, this humanistic individual who said, what we really need is to really love one another. Wow, that's a new message. I'm an old guy. I remember that from the 60s and 70s, right? That's not a new message. Guess what? It didn't work then, and it's not working now. Can a leopard change its spots? It's a rhetorical question. No. Can God come in and transform a human being from one who is violently, adamantly bent against the church to one who would then preach to the church. Oh, you see, there, there is transformation there. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Paul. Paul was transformed 180 degrees. I want you to show you because what he was doing was he was going into the synagogues. He would go into Damascus. By the way, Damascus, uh, it, it says that Nero went into Damascus and there were 10,000 Christians that he slaughtered in Damascus. So Paul wasn't the only one. Paul never got there. Nero picked up on that all. So Damascus was full of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who had converted over uh, to the faith uh, that this indeed was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But this is what it says, First Thessalonians. <clears throat> so we have this man who's breathing out threats, his whole, his whole aim in life, his whole focus in life was to kill these people. He would kill them, slaughter them. He would put them in prison. He would do that with the women. He didn't care about the children. Oh, five kids they had. Who cares? Just go and let them die. That's, that's Saul. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's see the new Saul. We were just studying this. But we were gentle among you. This is 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. Now listen to these words. What a transformation. We were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her children. That, that's what he came from. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Can a leopard change its spots? Rhetorical. No. But can God transform a life? Wow. What a transformation. You know, I look back at my testimony and say, wow, kind of boring, you know. I mean, look at Paul's testimony. Rehearsed in chapter 22, rehearsed in chapter 26, uh, rehearsed in chapter 3 of Philippians. You see it over and over again. He uses that testimony. Guess what? You need to use your testimony. Sometimes all that people need to really hear is that, you know, once I was lost and now I am found. Once I was in darkness and now I am in the light. That may be all they really need to hear. You say, well, that's much too simple. I need, I need to study and become an apologetist where I can apologize. I can, I can get up there and I can really, oh, I can battle with people, you know, and all this. I can really do them in. Paul didn't do that. He used his testimony. We have a testimony. I say, well, I, I, was, I grew up in a Christian home and, and, uh, and uh, probably at the age of about seven or eight or nine or whatever, my, my father had just gotten saved the very month that I was born. He got saved November or whatever, the very beginning of the November, and I was born in the middle of November. That's when he got saved. So he was on fire for the Lord, and, and all kinds of things changed in his life, 180 degrees completely. And man, he was a mess. His father was a mess. My mother's father was a mess. And I look at all these messes. Okay, mess, 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 mess. Without Christ, am I any better? I'm probably a bigger mess. It's real good possibility that I end up being a bigger mess. By God's grace, he kept me from all that mess. I had drunk grandfather, drunk grandfather. All they did was drink, carouse, run, beat their mothers, uh, their wives, my grandmother. Would I be any better? Do I have a testimony to share? Oh, you bet. Because the Lord Jesus Christ took me and said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to spare you all that. I'm going to spare you all that. You're still going to get a few bumps and bruises, I guarantee you that. And I got a bunch of bumps and bruises to prove that. But I'm going to spare you the real intense walk away from rebellious against God kind of spirit that all of those who you knew, all of those who you heard stories about, that's what they went through. Thank the Lord in heaven that my father got saved that month, November. And then my mother in December, just a few short weeks later. Oh, you see, we have a testimony to tell. It may not have been the same way Paul's testimony was, but we have a testimony to tell. I'm seeing in the world today 
<clears throat> something that is very disturbing. I even see it in my own life. And, and, and I want to share it just a little bit. Because, you see, Paul was being dealt with by the Holy Spirit of God. Stephen's face shone like an angel. Can you imagine? He was looking at that. He knew Stephen's face wasn't just normal. I'll tell you that right now. It was supernatural is what it was. And when he looked into the face of Stephen, he knew something big's going on here. And then Stephen's reaction at the end of it all, not, oh, you, 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 but you're all wrong about me. You're all wrong about me. Defending himself. No, listen, God, please don't put it to their charge. Just like his Savior did. bore into the heart of Saul so deep. You say he should have gotten, he should have gotten saved there. That's, not, that's not, not what we do as human beings, is it? Sometimes when, we, when we're wrong, we, we even scream louder and become more intense and more determined. And that's exactly what he did until he was arrested. Arrested by the power of God Almighty and he would never be the same. He was so busy with his cause that there was no real self-reflect on his part. If I can get busy enough with this cause, I've got to eliminate these believers. Their leader is already dead and in the grave, or so he thought. Now all I need to do is eliminate the believers, and on we go. We can get back to normal. A cause is an excuse. That's what we do as human beings. I know you've heard it before, but it's exactly what we do. When the Holy Spirit begins to really probe our hearts... Say, whoa, what about him? What about him? That's what Peter said. When the Lord Jesus Christ began to to probe his heart and deal with the matters at hand, he turned and said, well, what about John? The Lord Jesus Christ said, if I desire that he remain till I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. That's what it's all about. You see, that's what our, 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 our whole society is doing right now. They're, they're, they're pointing us, look at that terrible thing they're doing. Transferring all of the guilt of their own hearts onto some sort of a situation. It's an escape is what it is. But we're not looking at the world today. We know they're messed up. They don't have the Savior. But it happens in the church. What about him? What about her? Wow. Joel says, rend your heart. He says, rend your heart, not your clothes. Oh, rending of the clothes. 
beautiful outward show, you know. Oh, tear at my clothes. Look at me. Look at me. Contrite. Contrite, not your clothes. Rend your heart. Go inside. Get in the closet and deal with the heart issues. Tear the heart apart one section at a time and begin to self-analyze and realize who you are and how far you've walked away from God instead of turning around and looking at everyone around you and say, oh, look at that person. That person. Finally, there was a light that shone out of heaven and it drove... Saul, probably off his horse, down to the ground. And the God of heaven said, I want you. I want you. What a miraculous conversion. That tax collector in in Luke 18, who said, oh, I thank God. I'm not an extortioner, unjust, an adulterer, or like this tax collector. You see this tax collector. See this tax collector. Woo-hoo. Man, that guy's got serious problems, God. I'm sure your eyes are all on him. He says he prayed thus with himself. His prayers never entered heaven. He'd been praying thus with himself for all these years. He has no relationship with God. And that tax collector, not even willing to raise up his eyes towards heaven, beat upon his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then came the commentary, who went back home justified? That one who rend his heart. God was out to rend the heart of this man, Paul. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save such of a contrite spirit. He was the persecutor. <clears throat> now he is the pursued. Pursuit of God. You look at his life and, and you see the circumstances that surrounded him. He's probably on his high horse, on his big fat high horse, and he's stopping his way as fast as he can to get to Damascus. You know where he went through? He went right through Samaria. And when he went through Samaria, I'll bet you any money, he looked around him and said, I see a lot of Christians here. I'm going to catch them on the way home. Philip had already been there. His great work had been done in in Samaria. So he figured, man, I can catch a few more on the way home and I can rattle them up and chain them up. And he had a whole entourage of men behind him because he wasn't the one going to carry it out. I mean, here he was. He was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was only 30 years old. This guy was the, the, the shining star of the Hebrew faith. He was the hope of the Hebrew faith is what he was. They all looked to him. When he walked into a synagogue, they didn't say, oh, well, no, give the book to this. No, no, you give the book to this guy right here. He's numero uno. He's the big boy. And God knocked him off his high horse and drove him to the ground and kept him on the ground 
Chapter 22 says all the other men got back up again. He didn't. He stayed down. Who pursued who? In this case, you look at the case of uh, 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 Saul slash Paul, and you know who pursued who. Was was Paul saying? Uh, was Saul saying? Oh, gee, I you know uh, maybe maybe that stuff is true. No, no, man, he was bent on getting to Damascus as fast as possible and doing as much damage as possible. That's where he was. God. God pursued him. God had pursued him after Stephen, you know, all that stuff with Stephen. And then God said, you know, he wouldn't be a bad guy. He'd be a pretty good guy. I think I'd put him to work. No. Galatians 1.15. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, the apostle of grace. God pursued him. He never forgot this. It wasn't as though he walked away and forgot where he came from. Not this guy. He never forgot it. That's why he became the apostle of grace. For by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. He never ever walked away from the grace of God in God's pursuit of him. He never pursued God. You say, well, I, I, I feel like I came to the point where I said, maybe this stuff's true. I, I, I feel like I had a little part in that. I, I had a little part in the pursuit. I had a, a little part to play. Maybe I came to that point wrong. Because the conviction that you had when you said, well, that message of the gospel, is it true? If there was true conviction, it was a work of the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, when we get to heaven, we are not going to have anything to offer to the Lord Jesus Christ in concerns with our salvation. We're not going to be able to say, oh, Lord, but you know what? I really, I, I was really feeling convicted that day. And, and yes, you gave me the gospel and I became saved. No, it's not the way it works. For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, nothing, nada, nothing. And it stands that way. If it's if there's any impurities of self in the process of salvation, it nullifies it completely. So don't go there. You say, well, with Paul, that that's surely the case. I mean, my goodness, he was on his way to kill Christians. He was on his way to slaughter them. It was a slaughter. That word means that they were just going to take him and, and, and have his men, not him. Oh, no, no, no. You're going to violate his, his position as part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he sends his men and they just, they just tear him up. Chain him up, tear him up, cast him off to Jerusalem, put him in prison, whatever the case may be. He had no inclination at all for God, but God had every inclination towards him. What a miraculous. What time is this supposed to end? Five minutes. Five minutes. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's okay. That's okay. We no more have a part in our salvation than Paul had a part in his salvation. That's what the point is. We do not, we cannot claim any part of it. It is by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves.
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. I'm ju- I'll just finish with these two points because I'm not even going to try. There's no way. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says this. <clears throat> Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time ever, before time began. So, Paul never forgot. It is still by grace. It is still by faith. It is absolutely a work of God. We are the elect of God. Now, you've got to balance that. Here's, here's, we're going to balance that. We're going to throw something over on the other uh, scale just a little bit. He who believes in the Son... Believes. It, it it sounds like an effort. It sounds like my involvement in this process. Yes, believes. He who believes on the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That was John, and John is the great gospeler of belief. We are involved in believing. The work is completely, absolutely... Guess what? I'm never going to get to this. If you think I'm going to clear this up in your mind, don't. many have tried. I won't either. But we believe. That's an action on our part. We believe. We receive. That's an action on our part. We receive. Then Paul says, it wasn't just John. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, confess. What? That's really an action. That that, that we actually confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. No clearer than that as far as the gospel is concerned. But when we get to heaven and we see those nail-pierced hands of the Savior and and we see the scar in his side and, and we see his face, we are not going to sit back and say, well, bless my heart, I believed. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Those are the only words we're going to be saying. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. I don't hear one word concerning ourselves and what we did. All we do is get the crowns and cast them over to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who deserves those crowns. Miraculous conversion of this man, Paul. 180 degrees. I could go through, I have much, well, we'll have plenty to do on Monday. Put it that way. Verse number 7, I'm going to end with this. Verse number 7 in chapter 9, and it says this. 
And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. I want to encourage you. You're out there giving the gospel. You're, you're, you're sharing the Lord Jesus Christ as you, you're, you're the laity. We, we don't look to clergy for that. We, the people, just the, the people come together and we're the ones who give out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have, I have, I have given the gospel to individuals and I'll say that now the Lord Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Do, do you know you're a sinner? Yeah. Do you know you need a savior? I guess. And when I get done with the whole message, this is their response. Oh, that's so nice. Isn't that nice? There were individuals who were cast to the ground by this great light. It was a great light. Chapter 22 of Acts says it was the noonday sun. That's where they were. They were there in the noonday sun, and it just diminished the noonday sun. It was so bright. And they were all cast to the ground. Some heard, others did not. Paul heard. These did not. You're going to run into this as you witness. Oh, that's so nice. I just told you you were a sinner. I just told you you were lost and damned to hell. That's so nice. Oh, you see, the Holy Spirit hadn't dealt with that individual yet. Just wait. You're just one cog in a long, long picture. Just wait. Don't be discouraged. Continue on. This man, Paul, never was the same. He became a lover. He became an apostle of grace. He fell in love with the churches. He fell in love with people. He was given over to people and serving people. He was, he was beaten. He was beaten 30 minus 1, two times. This guy was beaten. I can't imagine what his body looked like when finally the Lord took him home. He must have looked like a mess. Completely given over to the gospel. And, and that just convicts me terrible. Wow. Far from it here. Far from it. But by God's grace, we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Says, Paul said, be like me, as I am like Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the highest He's the target. We can look at other men and we can see good things in them, but it all funnels back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Paul would say, I have not apprehended that for which I was apprehended. He's saying, I'm still in process. As far along as that man was in his relationship with you, God, our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who he cursed, who he murdered for, but now he gives his life. As far as he traveled in his own walk with the Lord, he said, I am not, I have not apprehended we haven't either. Keep us on the path, our Father.
could be tough times ahead. There could be tests ahead. We glide along now fairly unscathed. That could change. Help us to walk aright. More by faith and less by sight. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.